Welcome to A Writer's War, a National Lottery Heritage Fund First World War Centenary Project, produced by Chrome Radio for the University of Oxford's Faculty of Medieval and Modern Languages, in partnership with Year 10 students from Oxford Spires Academy. In this group of podcasts, we learn about different responses to the First World War in Britain, France, Germany, and former colonies of the British and French empires. We hear now from Professor Toby Garfit, Emeritus Fellow of Magdalen College, about the response in France. Art, adventure, love. My name is Toby Garfit. I've been a Fellow of Magdalen College, Oxford, for nearly 40 years. I've just retired. We're sitting in Magdalen College in the old practice room. That's where the choristers used to do their singing practice. These days they do it just along the cloisters, but you can still often hear them practicing in the morning. One of the things I've been teaching for many years is literature of the First World War, particularly French literature. The first thing we need to understand when looking at French literature of the First World War is that it comes out of quite a different experience from what produced the literature from Britain or Germany because the French were defending their own territory. The French had been invaded, their country had been overrun. The Germans reached the very gates of Paris, what we call today Charles de Gaulle Airport, before they were pushed back to the Marne, the Battle of the Marne, and then the line stabilized a bit further away from Paris. But the French very nearly lost their capital, as of course they had in 1870 in the Franco-Prussian War. French families had been overrun and dealt with in nasty ways in the northeast of France and of course there was the experience of Belgium that had been overrun before and the French were desperately afraid that the same would happen to them some of the iconic french buildings were targeted by the german forces and in particular the cathedral at Reims or Reims where so many of the french kings had been crowned one of the great symbols of france it was as if westminster abbey had been targeted and the germans deliberately bombarded it day in day out for years so for the french there was a feeling that they had at all costs to defend their soil their families their fatherland their patrie there were also very different attitudes between the british and the french to the war somebody who understood these differences very well was a man called andre morois who served with the british army he was a frenchman he served as an interpreter he realized that the british particularly british officers approached the war in a very different way they treated the war as if it was a game as if it was a boxing match for instance or a football match british officers didn't sit around philosophizing about the war they just wanted to get on with it and treat it like a game and because he understood that there was such a different attitude between the french and the british he wrote a novel which was designed to help the french understand the british attitude it's called the silence of colonel bramble the silence du colonel bramble and we see various british officers talking with a french interpreter who is the morois persona in the novel and they have all sorts of interesting conversations in which the different attitudes to the war are spelled out in this short extract morois fictional counterpart orel is walking back from a boxing match organized by a scots brigade with colonel bramble and major parker the major explains how war and sport are perceived quite differently by the two sides Pour intéresser un français à un match de boxe, 
il faut lui dire que son honneur national y est engagé. Pour intéresser un Anglais à une guerre, rien de tel que de lui suggérer qu'elle ressemble à un match de boxe. Dites-nous que le 1 est un barbare, nous approuverons poliment. Mais dites-nous qu'il est mauvais sportsman et vous soulèverez l'Empire britannique. Par la faute du 1, dit tristement le colonel, la guerre n'est plus un jeu de gentlemen. One of the best French novels of the war was not published until just after the war. It's called Les Croix de Bois, The Wooden Crosses, by Roland d'Orgelès. A particularly interesting thing about this novel is that it was very much read during the 1920s in French primary schools to help the French understand what the experience of the war had been like. One young Frenchman in Algeria at his primary school who heard this novel read to him by his primary teacher was Albert Camus. Camus had lost his father at the Battle of the Marne. His father didn't die on the battlefield. He was evacuated to a hospital in the rear and eventually he died. In fact, Camus never discovered until 30 years later where his father was buried in Brittany. The fact that Camus, as a youngster, heard this novel by Dorgelès, read by his primary school teacher, helped him to make that connection with his father, whom he'd never really known, because he was only two when his father died. But the great French novel of the First World War is Le Feu, or Under Fire, by Henri Barbus. The extraordinary thing about this novel is that it was written in 1915. We'd had novels in both Britain and France from 1914, which talked about heroism of war. But of course, by the end of 1914, the trenches were beginning to be set and the war became pretty static. Henri Barbus was anti-war himself, but he felt it was his duty to go to war. Perhaps something could be changed in French society as a result of the war. He served in 1915 and wrote this novel based on his own diaries. It gives a careful account of what the experience of frontline troops was. Not that they spent all their time in the trenches. A lot of the time was spent recovering, getting ready, getting food, opening letters, just generally chatting and getting to know each other because all these French troops came from different parts of France. They spoke different dialects. They had to be melded into a fighting unit. And he takes you through a cycle. The subtitle of the novel is The Diary of a Squad, Journal d'une Esquad. Although not every soldier had exactly the same experience, every soldier could recognize that experience of waiting, preparing, eventually being in the trenches and being called to go over the top, and then what happens after that. There's also the experience of having German sappers digging under their trenches and trying to blow them up, and equally the French digging mines under the German trenches. This novel, which was published in serial form in 1915 and then in book form at the beginning of 1916, was an absolute revelation. It's extraordinary that the censors allowed it to be published because you could say that this was going to undermine the morale of the troops, undermine the morale of the people at home because the newspapers were always giving nationalistic, jingoistic propaganda. Everything's going so well. We'll be in Berlin before the end of the year or whatever it might be. When they read this novel, they realized that was not going to happen, that it was just a long, drawn-out, terrible experience that people were going to find it very hard to recover from. 
I think the censors allowed it because they realised that people did actually need to know what it was like. People were getting fed up with the propaganda. They no longer believed the propaganda. They needed to have something authentic. This novel, Le Feu, was awarded the Prix Goncourt, the Goncourt Prize, in 1916. And huge numbers of people bought it. Hundreds of thousands of copies were sold. It was read by the people at the front, and they said, yes, this is our experience. It was read by people at home, people in Paris, people in the provinces, who at last felt they had a connection with the men at the front. When people think of British literature from the First World War, they tend to think, first of all, of poetry. That's partly because the school syllabus has war poetry on it, but it's also because, for some reason, the British expressed themselves better in poetry than in prose. There are great prose works from the First World War, but the best, I think, is the poetry. Now, that's not the case in France, and we might ask why. The French had a particular attitude to poetry. Poetry was a national jewel. Poetry was something that expressed the genius of France. The great French poets often celebrated the greatness of France. And poetry tended in France to be in rather set forms, expressing rather traditional opinions. There was a lot of poetry written during the war, but much of it is rather conventional and predictable. There was some good anti-war poetry, and there was some good poetry not in set forms, but it's only really just beginning to be discovered. At the beginning of the First World War, probably the greatest living French poet was a man called Paul Claudel. Claudel was a diplomat. He did not engage in the war himself. He was at quite a distance. In fact, during the war, he was in South America. But he lent his pen to the French cause. He wrote some quite well-known poems. One of them is called Anything You Like, General. Tant que vous voudrez mon général, I will do anything to defend France. So this was rather traditional jingoistic poetry. One might think of Kipling in the British connection. There was one poet who was very different, and his name is Guillaume Apollinaire. Apollinaire's poetry was not militaristic, jingoistic, but it was not anti-war either. It was a strange kind of poetry. It was really the poetry of an artist. Now, Apollinaire was not, in fact, himself French. He became French, he acquired French nationality because he fought in the French army during the war. In fact, that was the major reason why he joined the army, so that he could acquire French nationality. His mother was Polish, his father was possibly Italian, nobody quite knows. He came to live in Paris before the First World War, and he was an artist and a poet, and he mixed with all the artistic community. He was great friends with Picasso and people like that. He was involved in Cubism. And when he joined up, he saw it as a wonderful opportunity to experience something. War was going to be an experience. And one could sum up Apollinaire's approach to war in three words, adventure, art, and love. Not perhaps three qualities that you would normally associate with war poetry. Apollinaire served first in the artillery and then in the infantry, where he was seriously wounded. And in fact, he died just after the end of the war. While in the artillery, he managed to print some of the poems that he'd just written and distribute them to his friends in the artillery batteries. So this really is war poetry produced under fire. 
Some of it is rather what one might call epic, heroic. There's a poem that begins, Ah Dieu que la guerre est jolie! How beautiful, how lovely war is. This is a short poem talking about a cavalryman leaving his love in order to ride off to war. Now, you might have had that in the Middle Ages. It's not particularly modern. It doesn't talk about the modern experience of war. But alongside that approach, which is informed by literary traditions, there's a remarkable responsiveness to the realities of modern warfare. As Apollinaire sat by his artillery battery on the trench as an infantryman, he could see the shells exploding overhead. He could see the tracer lights in the sky. And to him, it looked like a firework display or a bunch of roses exploding out of a vase. And because he was an artist, he described it like that. And some people might find that offensive, that he enjoyed looking at the spectacle. Of course, it was also terrible. And he has poems about a shell exploding very close to him. The volume of poetry in which his war poems are collected is called calligram, calligrams, which means literally beautiful writing. Calligraphy, it's the same word. But many of the poems are actual works of art. Instead of writing ordinary lines of poetry, he has the words scattered over the page to make pictures. And one of the pictures is indeed of an exploding shell. One of the words that is scattered across the page is the word megaphone. And a shell exploding sounds like something very loud, so the word megaphone is appropriate. As well as adventure and art, I mentioned love. Now, Apollinaire had two lovers to whom he wrote throughout the war, and some of his poetry was written for them. The poetry is in part a meditation on love. When he's looking at shells exploding, I mentioned roses coming out of a vase, but he also sees it in terms of a blouse being ripped open and breasts appearing. Deux fusants, rose éclatement, comme deux seins que l'on dégrafe. So two tracer shells, a burst of pink, like two breasts that are being revealed. And that same stanza of the poem that I was quoting just now ends with the words in capital letters, Il sut aimer. He knew how to love. He was a great lover. That's how Apollinaire wanted to come across in his poetry, as a great artist, but also as a great lover. Apollinaire was certainly a very unconventional person in his personal life and in his writing. People didn't really know quite what to make of his poetry because you couldn't pigeonhole it easily. You couldn't say this is poetry that is supporting the war. You couldn't say this is poetry that is against the war. It was poetry that was closely associated with the war. It arose out of war, out of the direct experience of war, but it was something different and it took people a while to come to terms with it. Apollinaire was very much appreciated by the artistic community, but by the French public as a whole, it wasn't so much his war poetry that was important. It was a collection that he published before the war. People could see that he was doing interesting things in poetry. And that was all right when it wasn't about the war. But when he was doing interesting things in poetry and talking about the war at the same time, that was harder to come to terms with. One group of people who understood what war was all about, particularly if they'd read Barbusse's novel, was the women 
Some of them went out to work, but many of them stayed at home, keep the home fires burning. They had to see off their sons, husbands, brothers to the war. They stayed at home and waited and prayed and hoped, welcomed them back on leave and then sent them off to the front again. And more and more poetry by women is being discovered, and some of it is very good indeed. I'll end by reading a stanza from a poem by Cécile Perrin, which combines a veiled attack on those who promoted war, who seemed to love war, treated war like a lover, and the contrast with those who were taken in by all that propaganda, the innocent crowd of people who were led like lambs to the slaughter. Je pense à ceux qui t'ont serré entre leurs bras, à ceux qui t'exaltaient guerre comme une amante, à ceux qui t'ont fardé afin qu'à tes appas se prenne la foule innocente. You have been listening to A Writer's War. I do hope you'll join us for the next podcast in the series.